You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 188. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Julie Clark, who is a New York Times bestselling author of The Last Flight, which earned star reviews from Kirkus Publishers Weekly and the Library Journal, and the New York Times has called it thoroughly absorbing. Uh, Julie writes uh, domestic thrillers uh, with a lot of twists and turns, a lot of uh, cat and mouse uh, uh, intrigue. I really enjoyed her uh, latest book, The Lies I Tell, which is uh, available now. It was released in uh, June, so I highly recommend you check that out. I uh, really had a good time talking with Julie about her novels, uh, everything else. She's also a teacher, so we talked about that as well, and a whole lot more. Uh, so stay tuned for that interview coming here in just a moment. But before I bring you my interview with uh, Julie, I wanted to let you know about my own book. It's uh, called uh, Gringo Gulch, and it was uh, published in uh, on July 26th. Uh, really excited about that book. It's starting to pop up now in uh, the Amazon Hot New Releases in several other categories, so I'm very excited about that. It's set in my home country of Costa Rica, and it follows a homicide investigator who is uh, trying to catch a serial killer, and so he teams up with an FBI uh, rookie uh, profiler who heads down to Costa Rica to help him out. Uh, it's a book that I've had in my head for many years, well over 10 years, so I was very excited to finally have it out there. Again, it's called Gringo Gulch, um, so if you want to check it out, go to thrillingreads.com forward slash gringo, G-R-I-N-G-O. You'll be able to check it out there. You just go to Amazon, search by my name or by Gringo Gulch, and you'll find it. Um, if you pick it up, uh, let me know what you think about it. I really uh, would appreciate it. And of course, I need reviews and all that good stuff on Amazon. So if you've read it, uh, please <laughs> go do that. All right. Uh, that's enough of my own book. Let's uh, check out uh, Julie Clark and the lies I tell. And here is my interview with uh, Julie. Hey, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And on the podcast today, I have uh, Julie Clark. Her latest thriller, The Lies I Tell, was released in June. Excited to talk to Julie about all that. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your new book? Okay. Well, The Lies I Tell is the story of Meg Williams, who's a con artist who travels the country under assumed names. She creates these elaborate backstories to back up whatever lies she's telling. But what she's really trying to do is she's targeting a very specific demographic of people, specifically men, although I guess not exclusively men, in the book it's exclusively men, who abuse their power in some way. Um, but what Meg is also doing, besides getting rich off of these men who underestimate her and think that she is a dog walker, a life coach, an interior decorator, um, what she's also doing is honing her skills as a con artist so that she can return home and con the man who she believes ruined her childhood, stole her family home out from under her mother and basically kind of set her on this path of grifting. Um, but what she doesn't know is that there's a woman waiting for her in Los Angeles, who's an investigative reporter, Kat Roberts. And she was collateral damage on a con that Meg pulled many years ago. And Kat has her own ideas about revenge and justice and people facing consequences. And her plan is to infiltrate Meg's life under an assumed name, create an elaborate backstory to back up her lies. And her goal is to expose Meg and take her down. Telling two different timelines or like two different uh, POVs. Um, yes. Yeah. Is that uh, how, uh, kind of curious on the, from the writing perspective, how is that something that you uh, wanted to tell the story that way all, uh, right away? Or did it come to you when you started writing it? How, how did that uh, develop that idea to do it from two different timelines and uh, POVs? 
Um, I think because both of the women are lying to each other, I think that you needed to be with each of them in order to be able to see their lies, see what their true intentions are, and to kind of watch as a spectator how they sort of circle each other and lie to each other and try to deceive each other all the while for each of them have their own reasons for doing this that they believe are correct and right, you know? And so this is uh, so fascinating because the domestic thrillers are, are uh, seems to be so popular right now. Um, so can you tell us a little bit if they're not familiar, like, like what, what makes a thriller a domestic thriller and why do you think these are so popular right now, the subgenre? The sub-genre? Um, I think the genre is popular because, you know, thrillers have characters doing things that we as real people would never, ever want to do. Um, you know, and so, you know, for, for the lies I tell, it's a story of a con artist. Now I would never want to be a con artist. You would never want to be a con artist. However, it is really fun and interesting to see a con artist target a specific demographic of people who maybe we as a society feel perhaps could use some consequences. So, you know, I think the thriller genre in general is is fun to read because it's exciting, it's fast paced, um, but it also allows us to sort of live inside the skin of characters, of people that we wouldn't normally want to be ourselves. And were you a fan of mystery and thrillers as a reader before you started to write your own stories? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I read pretty much everything. Um but yeah, thrillers and mysteries were definitely high on my list of things that I like to read. And what were some of the authors that influenced you later as a writer? Um, well, the authors that really influenced me as a writer aren't necessarily thriller writers. They're more uh, like Barbara Kingsolver, Anna Quindlin, uh, Jody Pico. Um, those are those are the writers that really kind of formed my writer brain, mm-hmm. so to speak, as far as how they use language to sort of craft a character and to craft emotion on the page. Those those three are just masters at it. And uh, did you always want to be a writer? I did. I mean, I always wanted to write stories that I loved to read. And so one of the questions that I always ask myself when I'm sort of stuck in a plot problem or whatever is if I can step outside of my writer brain for a moment, I can think, well, as a reader, what would I really be excited about if my character started, you know, what would I really want to see as a reader in this moment? Um, Because we've all had those moments where we're reading a book and it takes a turn that we didn't expect. And we realize, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I want to see now. Thank you. You know? So, so I try to, I try to think about that whenever I can, whenever I'm stuck. And your path before uh, starting to write these thriller books, you were a teacher, right? I believe. I am. You are a teacher. Yeah, I still am a teacher. I teach fifth grade. So school is starting up in a few weeks and I'll be doing two jobs again. (laughs) Well, it's been crazy too. the last, uh, obviously the pandemic, uh, I think it's coming a little bit. It looks like it's never going away. I don't know, but how is it going for you as a teacher in the schools and the kids? You know, last year was pretty good. Uh, We were in person for the whole year. We were fully masked for most of it, which was fine. The kids were completely flexible about that and very very cooperative and compliant. And I think that that kept us open. You know, we would have outbreaks every now and then, and, you know, we would, we would do what we needed to do, but, you know, for the most part, we were, we were okay. So I would imagine this year will be more of the same. 
I'm not sure about masking requirements. They kind of disappeared near the end of the year. And we had several major outbreaks before the end of the school year where we had to reinstate them. But, you know, again, like the thing that that people forget about kids is that kids are really, really resilient, you know, that they can, they can handle a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as parents, we often wring our hands and worry about their, you know, development and what's this going to be like for them long-term. And the truth of the matter is that kids just get up and be a kid every day and, and, you know, they look to the adults around them to see whether everything is okay. So as adults, if we can reassure them and let them know that, yes, yes, everything is fine. Kids will be fine too. Yeah. It's like falling down, right? If, as an adult, when you fall down, yeah. you see a little kid falling down, they pop right yeah. up. <laughs> right. And if adults don't, you know, react in any, yeah. you know, dramatic way, the kids will realize, oh, I guess they're not worried. So I shouldn't be worried too. I mean, I think that goes for pandemics as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do your do your students know that their teacher is a, a best-selling author? They do. Um, I don't know that they care particularly. <laughs> you know, um, they they tend to they tend to nod and say, hmm, "Cool," you know, and then they move on. It's not really something that be, you know best-selling status is not really on kids' radars. So I'm kind of curious about your writing process. Do you outline? Uh, do you write by the seat of your pants? I outline a little bit. I generally like to know where my book is going to start. And then from there, I kind of have an idea about the turning points along the way, like maybe three or four big turning points. And then I generally like to know how the book is going to end. But between those things, I don't really know. I don't really know what's happening. And what do you use to write? Do you use a word or some other writing software? I use Scrivener for early drafts. I like the flexibility of being able to move chapters around, of putting things into the research binder that I no longer need. However, I'm not able to delete. (laughs) Um, I like the note feature where I can leave notes for myself in the manuscript and all of those things I really enjoy. But at some point, usually around the, um, the second pass with my editor, I'll come and it'll, it'll migrate into word. And from there, we'll probably just stay in word. Because it's too much to go back and forth once you get kind of a final, final draft and it's down to like the really, really tiny things. Um, I'll generally go over to Word. Yeah. Yeah. Most editors and proofreaders use Word anyway, right? No, so, they do. Yeah. I mean, I have to export it every time yeah. I send them. So it, it behooves me to not stay too long in Scrivener. You, you mentioned your research. Um, so how much research did you put in for this novel? And is it more or less than from your other ones? Every book is different. Uh, My very first book, The Ones We Choose, is a contemporary novel about a geneticist. And so there's a fair amount of science in that um, and little bite-sized chunks to sort of go along with sort of her personal narrative of figuring out who she is and, and where she belongs in the world and her son as well. With my second book, The Last Flight, I did a ton of research on how to disappear, drug making, um, things like that. And then for The Lies I Tell, I did a lot of research on con artists and sort of the psychology of con artists and how they sort of prey on our on our trusting personalities and life circumstances to, you know, get what they want from us. And what's your uh, writing routine like, especially uh, when you're the school kicks in. Do you like try to always write? You write every day? I do. Yeah. I mean, my routine doesn't really change whether I'm teaching or if I'm on vacation, I find that it's best to just stick with the same routine no matter what. Um, so I get up very, very early in the morning to write. My alarm goes off at three 45. I'm usually writing by four. Um, and I'm generally done by six. So that's my routine. And then I go off if I'm teaching, I go off and do that. If I'm not teaching, I might write till seven. 
And then I have the whole day. So I still feel like I have a vacation. I don't feel like I am losing my vacation to writing work. And so this schedule kind of works for me. It allows me to keep kind of the same pace. So there's not a lot of fluctuation in my productivity. And do you always write from the same place or do you mix it up a little bit or? Generally, I write in bed. Um, it's the you know the best place to be at three forty-five in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'd imagine it'd be kind of hard to yeah, I just just get up and start to start to start writing. Yeah. And do you do you do you, set, do you give yourself like word count goals or anything when you're working on a project or? Um, when I'm drafting a first draft, my word count goal for a first draft is about sixty thousand words. Like that's for a first draft, and that's mm-hmm. pretty low. I feel like you know, a thriller of the last flight or uh, the lies I tell would probably, I think they both clocked in anywhere between like 83 and 88,000 words. So for a first draft, I feel like 60,000 words is really good. It gives me sort of the framework that everything can kind of hang on. And then from there, as I start revising and adding character stuff and plot and subplots and all of that, I kind of beef it out from there. As far as like a daily word count, um, you know, when I'm working toward that 60,000 words, I generally try to get anywhere from a thousand to 1200 words a day. But again, generally like I'll, I'll get to like, in like right now I'm working on like a second draft. So I have like 72,000 words and I sometimes can get it up to 80,000 words. And then it's like, Oh, I got to take that chapter out. Got to take that chapter. out, got to take that chapter out. And then I'm back down to 72,000. So you spend a lot of time in the 70 to 80,000 range without really making much progress. You know, you're putting stuff in, but you're taking other stuff out. And so it's sort of like walking on a treadmill for a while, but then you get over that hump. And then pretty soon, pretty soon you're starting to be very mindful about things you're adding because you don't really have the room. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you, these are standalone, right? So the domestic thrillers are usually standalones. And they're yes, part of they a are. series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you like, do you like that? Have you ever tried to write a series or do you, um, do you write? I don't know. I mean, never say never. I haven't found a, a set of characters or a world that I felt like I could grow into multiple books. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of creating new characters, new lives, new worlds, new problems, new families, new situations, new settings. I love that part of writing. So to have all of that done would be pretty easy to go back and just pick up where you left off with the same people in the same setting with a new problem. But um, I don't know. It hasn't, it hasn't been something that I've been drawn to, but maybe who knows. And when you, from the time that you start getting the idea to the book and then that it's finally out there published, uh, how long does that usually take? Uh, probably <laughs> two to three years. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so, so, so it's that, the idea is in your head for a while before you even start writing it? Well, I mean, it takes me a good year, year and a half to get the book anywhere where I'd want my editor to even look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll take another year from there for her to edit it and for it to go through the production process. Mm-hmm. So two to three years. And so you're always working on books. Um, what, what's, can, you, can you tell us what, you, what are you working on now? What's coming up next? Uh, it's a family drama about... Um, uh, a daughter who returns home to her father is dying. He's a world famous horror author, um, but he has long been suspected of killing his brother and sister when he was 15. And so she's come home to write his book and, you know, finally discover whether he did it or not. And I was, uh, I was reading on, uh, on your website uh, where it sounds like you have some, uh, uh, some of your, your books have been optioned uh, for mm-hmm. the screen. So what was that process like uh, dealing with the Hollywood uh, group? 
Um, well, you know, I'm really fortunate. I have a very, very strong team behind me. So I feel like it's easy when you have the right team. So I have film agents who shot my books to different producers and, and, um, companies all over the place. And it goes from there. They read the book, they find a producer, they find, they find a home for it. They figure out, you know, how that's all going to work. They find a writer and then, you know, just kind of just kind of goes the best thing to do as a, as a novel writer is to not think about it, mm-hmm. you know, to let them do their job and to not really think a lot about that because option is just an option. It doesn't necessarily mean anything will get made. It's just the right to hold on to your intellectual property until they decide they either want to do something with it or they want to give it back to you. So it could be, it could be everything. It could be nothing. Yeah, yeah, I hear that a lot. That sometimes it could take years, and oh yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I always like to ask um, my guests because uh, we have aspiring uh, writers who are listening to this podcast, and mm-hmm. um, what kind of advice would you give to an aspiring writer that's listening to this? Um, I always give the same advice, and it came from a book called The Scene Book by Sandra Schofield, and it's a really great book on sort of how to zoom in on your scenes in each chapter or section, whatever, however it is that you want to think about what is a scene um, and how to really create sharp, vivid scenes. But the advice that I got from that book was actually from her introduction. um, And basically it was advice on how to become a published author. And she said, you really only have to do two things. Number one, you have to think of yourself as a worker. And number two, you have to show up at the job. That's it. That's all you have to do. That's great advice. Yeah, because yeah, look, I mean, if, if somebody always wants to write for a hobby for fun, then that's one thing. But if you right. really try to make it a go, you really have to look take it seriously. You have to think of it as a job, and yeah. if you don't think of it as a job, then it won't ever be your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. All right. So, uh, and the so the book that you're working on now is that going to come out next year? Then is that the usually no, the timeline? We're we've not put a deadline on it. There's oh, no okay. deadline on it. I am I am being very um very cagey in how I want to <laughs> on to it as long as possible. So so yeah. not nothing. No, yeah, nothing no, nothing in set in stone. No. All right. And so uh, so uh, the 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 lies I tell it's out now. Uh, yeah. Recommend people to go check it out. Uh, it's a lot, a lot of twists and turns on that. I was very impressed with that. How you, how you kept all these people in the uh, spinning plates or whatever, and read it all in. It was pretty, pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. It was a really fun book to write. And Meg Williams is probably one of my favorite characters that I've ever written. Um, she's this morally gray character who is doing the wrong thing for what she believes are the right reasons, and she's sharp and she's sarcastic and she's brave and she's, you know, kind of sick and tired of, of, you know, the way the world works. And so she's decided to take it into her own hands. Yeah. I really got a real, like a, a better call Saul kind of vibe with the, yeah. you know, the cons and you know, yeah. it, the whole world kind of dumping on him. So it's kind of, it's kind yeah. of fun. Yeah. 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 No, she's definitely, she's definitely a character that readers will root for. And that was my goal is to write somebody who's doing bad things. And yet the reader is still going to want them to succeed. All right, Julie. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, Like I said, lies, the lies I tell is out now. So people go check it out. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to meet the thriller author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers, or if this episode's guest is new to you, 
I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this show. If you have done that already, I thank you. I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode Uh, see you next time and stay safe out there